Yeah. Yeah. You got a kind of meeting. Yeah. Yeah. Booked out because I just had a complaint from the building manager. It shouldn't be drinking. It shouldn't be drinking. It shouldn't be drinking. I'm sick of it. I'm sick of this. I'm sick of this. Of what? Health. Health. I'm sick of health. Sick of health. Fire off again. Hello. Welcome again to Sick of Health, this now being the second podcast. Actually the first episode, we scrapped the original first one. I'm happy to say I'm joined again by Dr. David Wright. Hello, it's good to be back. And Rob. Rob, the opposite <laughs> of the medical expert in the room. You still want to sort of put yourself down, mate. You're an, <laughs> you're an educated young man, you bring a lot to this, okay? I'm just all about blind belief. <laughs> and so last time we spoke about sleep and this time I'm going to take a slightly different angle and start with a very specific story and that is the story of a woman who can smell Parkinson's. It's absolutely fascinating, it gripped us this story. <laughs> Believe it or not. And essentially it's uh, the story of this woman called Joy from Perth in Scotland and her husband, she, her husband Les was diagnosed with Parkinson's and about, I think it was maybe a few years, five years into it, she certainly thought she started noticing an odd smell. <laughs> Interesting. But she didn't kind of plan it. She just thought her husband was maybe getting a little bit more... Windy. Uh, yeah, perhaps. <laughs> yeah. Or unhygienic yeah. in his bad health. I think it was actually a few years before the diagnosis she started noticing a smell but didn't think anything of it. Well, there you go. Yeah, and yeah. and then, so she basically kept telling him to wash a bit more, and I think that annoyed him. Yeah. Um, so she, she decided not to make anything of it. And then they went to a kind of Parkinson's support group, and she the story goes that she walked through the door of this Parkinson's support group, and this scent hit her, and she was just, it was one of those moments where she was just like, that is the smell I've been, that's the scent. That's what I've been smelling. Wow. And so mm. instantly put two and two together and thought, it's the smell of Parkinson's, which seems utterly bizarre. Bizarre. But yeah. that's how the story goes. And anyway, the the support group she was at, they had a kind of keynote speaker there who was a researcher at Glasgow, Edinburgh University. Edinburgh, I believe. University. And he picked up on this because she essentially stood up in the middle of it and went, You'll stink. You'll, <laughs> you'll, you'll stink, Parkinson's. And everyone's like, excuse me, love. Well, they misinterpreted it first because apparently Parkinson's patients, they start to lose their sense of smell. So the keynote speaker thought she was referring to that. Uh, and she was like, no, no, no. I don't they, have Parkinson's. <laughs> yeah, they smell different. But yeah, so he picked up on it and um, essentially got back in touch with it, I think, and said, why don't we do a little test to see if this is true? And the test goes. Yeah, so they wanted to try and add a bit of scientific robustness to this rather than it just being her in a room full of different smells. So this scientist, the keynote speaker, got six different t-shirts from people with Parkinson's and six t-shirts from people without Parkinson's and got Joy to smell each one. And she didn't know how many had Parkinson's and how many didn't. And she had to say whether they did or didn't have Parkinson's. And out of the 12 t-shirts, she got 11 right, blind, really? not being told anything, which is remarkable, yeah. absolutely yeah. remarkable. Thoughts uh, on that, Rob? Uh, well, it's, it's, it's nuts, isn't it? I, 
I, thank God it's a, a pretty reputable university that's guiding this research because instantly, you know, I saw that headline, was it two, three weeks ago maybe, a bit, mm. bit less, and, and you think, well, this is just sensationalist. It's a kind of ad clickbait type, type of thing that you see on the, the right-hand side of, of an article online and, and, and you laugh about it and then you see, no disrespect to certain areas of Scotland, it's in, in Perth and there's, you know, from my knowledge not a lot going on in that corner of, of the country it's elderly couple there's so many ways that you can try and brush this off as as rubbish but Definitely when you've got a heavy listenership in Perth Scotland <laughs> <laughs> but, but when you start to listen to, um, to people like Dr David talk about <laughs> the statistics behind this kind of thing you're I'll tell you what, I'd love to meet Joy. And I'm, I'm glad you said that because you've fallen into the exact trap of the story. All right. Because okay. that is not the end. Yeah, it gets even better. So the one patient that she didn't get right, it turned out eight months after they did the test that that person develops Parkinson's. Right. So she said that that other T-shirt was someone with Parkinson's and the initial results was that no, they don't. So 11 out of 12. But yeah, eight months down the line that person develops it so she got the diagnosis right before modern medicine got the diagnosis right <laughs> which is that is nuts what's Joy's surname I'd love Milne. to know is it <laughs> Joy Milne I can see that on a blue plaque yeah 100% yeah, yeah. 100% like Joy Milne defeated modern medicine <laughs> yeah, yeah. But she only really her nose yeah Wow, and that the, old dog. Yeah. <laughs> that's a nice reference. <laughs> Which, because, right, we won't go there right now, but I think the obvious question is, why would Parkinson's develop a smell? Like, is this a normal thing for disease? Mm. Is this specific yeah. to Parkinson's? Is this... Uh, yeah, that's a good question, and it's... It wasn't known at all. So as thrown back as the keynote speaker was from that talk, no one knew about it. So as soon as Joy started talking about a sense of smell, he immediately started assuming she was talking about the loss of smell in Parkinson's patients. And he had to kind of double take when it was about natural smell being emitted. So from that eminent scientist not knowing about it just goes to show how little was expected in this field of research. But they've had a little bit of um, time now after Joy's been... Um, telling us about it and they think it might be to do with the sebum so she said the smell was strongest around the collar and that's where uh, well around the neck area mm. and you get sebum being produced around the neck and the back and your kind of t-zone across the forehead and your nose and that kind of started giving them clues about what's actually being produced here and so they're trying to pin it down to the sebum and they looked through research in the 1920s there was actually some research linking Parkinson's with a change in sebum production. See, really? interesting, interesting that you say 1920s, because I read something that said that this this uh, idea of diagnosing diseases via smell goes back as far as modern medicine. Not necessarily they knew that, but but I can always get this name wrong. Hippocrates, <laughs> Hippocrates, yeah, father <laughs> of modern medicine. Yeah. He used to say, so tuberculosis has similar symptoms to just the flu or cold, right? When you cough up mm -hmm. um, sputum. Yeah. So it's difficult to tell just from that symptom what it is. And he said, if you throw the sputum into hot coals and it gives off a terrible odour, he said it like this, he said, that means you'll die. 
but essentially that he was telling the difference between tuberculosis where you'll die or a flu where you'll recover mm. so it's not a new idea but I don't think it's ever come across in this way I'd, uh, I'd argue that if someone's coughing up enough to throw onto coals <laughs> it's probably something seriously wrong could, could you uh, David just explain in brief what, what sebum is so it's, sebum is uh, a kind of oily substance that gets secreted through your skin. So okay. particularly on your back and your neck and your face. So the kind of oiliness you get from your skin yeah. around those areas, that's sebum. Interesting. Okay. So yeah, they're not sure exactly what the link with this and Parkinson's is. There's a few different ideas and Parkinson's patients, they sometimes have a little bit of a waxy feel to their skin, which might be to do with the change in sebum. And that might be right. partly to do with what Joy is smelling, but it's still unknown at the moment. And interestingly, to, to kind of keep pulling on that link of smell by diagnosis, which was mm. honestly something that I had no idea was a thing until I saw this headline um, and since read about. But there is a lot of research into using dogs to diagnose cancer. Mm. And there's some incredible stories. I remember listening to one story of this woman who worked in this field. And so she worked with dogs who can, you know, they were trying to get them to smell cancer. And she got on really well with this one dog and she basically she'd take walks and all this jazz. And uh, one day, she hadn't seen this dog for a couple of months and she started working with this dog again. And she tried to get it out of the boot for work or some purposes or other and the dog wouldn't get out of the boot. And the dog started kind of barking at her and almost acting afraid of her. You know how dogs almost have that sixth sense. Yeah. And then this sounds like a ridiculous story, but then she goes and gets tested for cancer. She kind of... It wasn't just because of this, a few other things, but goes and gets tested for cancer. Like, I think it was breast cancer, and it turns out she's developed breast cancer. Right. Wow. Which, I mean, it's a big jump, but you could argue this dog could sense. They were training this dog to sense cancer, and after seeing this, not seeing this woman for a few months, it, it seemingly, yeah, it can sense cancer. But it's not out of the realms of the imagination. I mean, we're constantly producing different chemicals and a lot of them can go through our skin. So we're leaving behind us a trail of pheromones and body odor and all kinds of things. So you, when you have a massive disease such as cancer, then things change within your body. So it's, it's reasonable for that to happen. And Joy, actually, I was reading one of the interviews she gave, first gave after this, and she claimed that um, she could smell liver cancer as she was a student nurse. And she just didn't think anything of it until all of this Parkinson's thing developed. So, how old, how old's Joy? How long do we have left of taking full advantage? <laughs> well, Joy is not unique. So, since this story yeah. broke, I think about twenty odd other people have come forward, and this um, yeah. keynote speaker, yeah, is now uh, taking them on as well as part of the trial to see whether there's more people. So, is but does does her and these other people have a you know, higher level of smell compared to the normal human being. Because I saw something that was like, oh yeah, Joy, she's half human, half dog. <laughs> <laughs> I think you ought to be careful with that. Yeah. But um boss of it, yeah. I mean, you I can't tell a different smell when I walk into a room where I can't think, oh that person's got a disease or anything. So she's certainly got a better sense of smell than I do. So I'd imagine, but you I don't know, I mean it just seems something that's quite hard to put your finger on. Genetic, wouldn't you say? Yeah. I think it's... Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's the only explanation, really, isn't it? Um, 
Well, it's probably like yeah. a developed palate for tasting that some yeah. people can taste much more complex flavors or listen to music in a different way. It's all sensory perception, isn't it? Yeah. We'll have to, uh, we'll have to sort out a little sensory test and te- test Rob's nose to the limits. Oh, I'd love to take Joy out <laughs> for a drink. Yeah. Imagine you, just... you put on the aftershave, you'll put on your knock around. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Thanks, mate. You're a killer. Over she here. just sits down and she's like, oh, you've got about four years left until you lose your mind. Yeah. <laughs> and this came up actually in the fact that she now has this moral dilemma and she said, Mm. She'll be walking Does through. She just see the whole of Perth yeah. stinks. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What have you got against Perth, mate? No, no. <laughs> but she says she'll be walking through the supermarket. She'll walk down an aisle and get a whiff of this scent, and then she's obviously got this moral dilemma of, in her mind, she's certain that she's just walked past someone with Parkinson's. Mm. Does she confront them? Does she tell them? Does she tell them to go get tested? Does she? That's such a tough ethical decision to make. I mean, because if you get it yeah. wrong. Yeah, you're, and you're putting them in a world of doubt. And but could you just say that? Look, I've got, I've got a bit of history here. I mean, I'm not saying it's solid, but just keep an eye out for this. But if you take Rob's example, for instance, where you read the headline, which yeah. is essentially what you, the information you get, yeah. there, and you look at it and think, I think Cheers Daily Mail. <laughs> I think fancy. that now she's gone from being Joy Milne, who lives in Perth, to being the. Joy Mill. <laughs> but if you think about it, say you've got that ability, you're walking down the aisle in, uh, in the supermarket and someone walks past down the aisle and uh, and you walk past someone and you're, and you're dead certain, you're like, this is, you know, I've smelt this last time I did it, I got it 12 out of 12 times right. Mm-hmm. And and you're, you think to yourself, how am I going to approach this? It's a difficult one, isn't it? To, <laughs> to try and think about how you're going to go up to this person, excuse me, sorry to bother you. <laughs> Uh, I, I have I have this strange ability yeah. to smell mental illness. It's a hard sell, and uh, and 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 you reek. <laughs> You're hitting it with two big hits there. Aren't yeah. You? yeah, you smell and you just say yeah. That. So um, uh, I I think you should go to the doctors. <laughs> uh, so hopefully people are starting to to, to listen to her now and and I think it would be nice if people could start accepting that this is perhaps something that is actually plausible yeah definitely Mm. and I think the way they move forward with this is not let's find the joy meals in this world and put them in hospitals to smell people I think there's much (laughs) more practical ways there's much more practical modern ways of doing it in terms of you know like they've done with joy they get her to smell chemicals and through I don't know what the mass spectrometry. Mass spectrometry, that's the one they can oh, identify. The sorry, thing. what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so now they've taken it to the next level. So basically, so after they've kind of ratified Joy's superhuman smelling strengths. They've taken a nose on tour. Like they've taken a nose on, on the <laughs> chemistry lab tour. Yeah. And it's, it's paying dividends. So they took a lot of different clothing materials from people with Parkinson's and those without and then ran through this big machine mass spectrometry which can tell you all the different chemicals there and it's just basically a big game where they see right you've got all these ones present in everything but only these ones are present in Parkinson's and then they narrow these chemicals down and she's been taking samples of these ones which are only in Parkinson's and smelling tubes of purified chemicals and then working out okay this is something that I can smell it's kind of 
gives that musty aroma that yeah. is linked with it. And they've got it down to about 10 chemicals now okay. that they're pursuing. That's and, a long trial. That yeah, time. yeah, it went from thousands and thousands. And now they think they've got a few lead candidates, which might be prognostic markers. And so um, I assume that, that, A, that would have taken a long time to get through a serious number of chemicals, and B, they would be taking samples from people's skin, I suppose, and saying, if you've got one of these 10, it's worth getting you checked for for Parkinson's. Yeah, well, they're not at that stage yet, but they're hoping yeah. to get so they can say that, yeah, this is a clear marker. And this is very important because Parkinson's isn't a curable disease at the moment. And it's just the current state of medicine is to try and diagnose patients as early as possible. So if you have a method like this that Joy can do and detect it before modern medicine can now, you can start delivering the right drugs earlier and catch them before the symptoms progress to a real kind of dementia state or the the motor problems, the movement problems that Parkinson's patients have and mm-hmm. really keep them in a better quality of life for longer. And yeah. I think, it, and that's so true of, just to open it up to all dementias and where we are right now and whether this smell diagnosis will help or help with any of them, I don't know, but it's this idea of they're all incurable diseases right now. Mm. and mm. everyone says it's because at the moment you can't diagnose it until it's too late so anything like this where I mean there's no idea you can't gauge how much extra time you'd get but mm. if we can get them get people earlier and start testing them on drugs earlier maybe it'll make a difference so it is theoretically huge yeah. so yeah this is this is my my challenge to the three of us I my my uncle um, has severe Parkinson's and um, it comes on very fast, seemingly. It's, it's strange that probably a couple of years ago, you know, he was physically very, very different to where he is now, which is mm-hmm. quite frail and, and, you know, saying it's noticeable is a massive understatement. That doesn't mean that he's not still a joy to spend time with, but it's very, very obvious. Now, if we were able to identify it much, much earlier, we're at a point, aren't we, where there's not really much that could be done. Yeah, mm-hmm. true. What's being done to to, to try and... That, okay. that opens up an interesting question, which is, I'm annoyed with at the moment, okay, because I'm going to take a very specific example here that I know <laughs> I've talked to you about, David, yeah. just on dementia treatment, because basically people, I think it's, we haven't had a new dementia treatment license 20 years 10 years 20 years one yeah, two about a right. long time but longer than the iPhone <laughs> perhaps yeah. so it says, yeah. Yeah. which shows you yeah. how quick technology is moving and supposedly how quick the you know the healthcare industry is moving but not in dementia mm-hmm. and um, and it's lots of pharma companies have spent a lot billions in trying to research and develop new drugs in that time yeah. and there's been essentially zero success rate in that time. It's marginal gains. It's yeah. slight tweaks on existing products yeah. to make things better. Which, for instance, and if we go in hot topics, has very recently led to Pfizer completely dropping their R&D as a research and development mm. in dementia, which mm-hmm. I think is, I mean, you can read into it what you want, you can read into the pharmaceutical industry what you want, but that is horrendous. And the, the bit yeah. that highlighted it for me was he was then at a very similar time. Just some CEO when you say he. The CEO of Pfizer, yeah, yeah. Very similar time. 
went to a big, I think it was a digital congress, and they were asking about the advances in technology. And he was there to talk about the advances in healthcare linked with technology. And he said, the modern era is the most advanced, you know, we're, we're flying ahead of where we've ever been before. And his big claim was that within our lifetime, there'll be a life expectancy of 120 years. He was like, we'll be able to cure cancer, we'll be able to cure, you know, have treat, curable treatments for heart disease, diabetes, mm-hmm. all this stuff. And didn't mention dementia, which for me was baffling because they've just left research of dementia. He's claiming we'll live to 120 years, mm. cure everything else. But by my logic, that means we'll live to 120 years and all be drooling messes. Yeah, yeah. It's a big umbrella, isn't it? Dementia, and so you're you're really neglecting a serious. The, the most it's now the biggest killer in the UK really took cardiovascular disease last year that's well I find it hard to listen to these industries that you know you look at someone like the CEO of Pfizer biggest pharmaceutical company on the planet I'd be right in saying I believe so They're and there, yeah. you think it's admirable that this man's managed to make it this far and I'm sure that he's not the only one responsible for making this decision but the pharmaceutical industry is so often challenged as not being as being rather profit driven yeah and them dropping all their r&d into dementia surely that's there's only a financial reason for that and not the not the reason why surely most people go into to medicine and things like that which is really a crying shame yeah but i mean this is a tough area we're getting into and i mean he is leading the business and you could make the counter argument that if they're not making any progress in dementia drug development and they're losing a lot of money in it would it be better as a business sense and as a driving medicine to develop drugs and further um, advances in areas which they are doing well in say vaccinations or places like that where Pfizer have had a lot of a success and that, that is exactly his argument it's yeah. let's take this money and use it in, in what, what he believes is a more a better not a better area but a more sustainable area perhaps but Talk obviously about. just the message it gives out for me yeah it's not great like yeah, it's, it's okay modern medicine is amazing we're, we're making like if you look at cancer immunotherapy we're making huge leaps we treating things we never treated before, et cetera, et cetera. Dementia, 20 years, no progress. That is mm. quite the ethical dilemma one must find themselves in. Yeah, but I mean, it's a problem where you have individual companies kind of, they've got their own agendas they're going for and you need to have almost an overarching body, say the NHS mm-hmm. or whatever, or the government saying, okay, that you need to dedicate a certain percentage of your revenue into this area because it is the biggest burden on our healthcare system. That's, that's my point. Surely for someone like the NHS, a disease like dementia, where it's it's not just the kind of hospital impact or, you know, it's the social impact. Mm. It's not like a disease, and this is being very harsh perhaps, but a disease like cancer where, and it's obviously very dependent, but it's kind of a short-lived thing. Mm-hmm. Dementia, you can live with for 10, 20 years but the amount of social care you require during that time mm. is pricey to say the least. Yeah. So surely from a, someone like the NHS's point of view, it be, now being the biggest killer and therefore I guess highest incidence perhaps, um, it's got to be something they're most worried about looking forward. Yeah, well I mean, uh, it's gonna be a trillion dollar disease by this year globally, dementia, which is, 
I can't even get my that head around how much. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds large. Yeah. yeah. It's That's, a phenomenal amount of money. Yeah, and, and surely it's only going to get worse if the life expectancy exactly. goes up. Well, exactly. And if life expectancy goes up because we're curing everything else, we're all going to end up with one thing. It'll be 100% of people with dementia. I guess you've got, got to die of something, haven't you? Yeah. It'll either be lack of sleep or dementia. <laughs> you just got to take your pick, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 It's a sad truth. We can only look. We can only. We can only guess at the future. I yeah. guess. But yeah, I think that's. I think we got quite deep at the end there. Yeah, it's suddenly getting we very got, serious. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it is a serious topic, and I guess you've got a personal connection with yourself, and you know mm. that interestingly, just to uh, tail off, perhaps bringing it back to the Parkinson's one, there is some incredible surgical options for Parkinson's. Mm-hmm. Um, that you can, uh, I know I saw one where you they basically drill into your brain, oh. correct me if I'm wrong, like into your skull and insert some sort of electrode. I think, I know where you're going with this, carry on. I'm sure it's some sort of, almost like when you put pacemaker on your heart, yeah, because your heart, you, you know, got a beat, boom, boom, mm-hmm. boom, then some sort of tachycardia or arrhythmia, and it's blah, 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 and you shock it to make it go back into rhythm. Yeah. Similar in your head with, I mean, this could be completely wrong, but in your head, Obviously, you've got these electrical pulses yeah. making your body move in yeah. certain ways. And in Parkinson's, those pulses are going slightly wrong, which is why you have those jittery symptoms. Mm. And they put this constant electrode in your head that beams out something, some sort of electrical pulse that controls those symptoms. And I watched um, a program on TV the other day where they showed this surgery and this woman came out of it and before could hardly, you know, she was jittering all over the place, came out of it, they don't turn it on for two weeks, they turn it on, slowly turn it up, and you can visibly see the symptoms go away. Really? That's incredible. So, I think I might have read uh, an article that may well have related to that, because I read that electrical impulses delivered to the brain can help improve memory. Um, So I can see how the two might be remotely linked there. yeah but because Parkinson's is a broad disease I mean the the movement problems are the ones that are most visible obviously but memory is another big part mm-hmm. of it and also depression is a large part of it too so if you're just you've got to fix a lot of different problems within oh, the brain they, at one time they all said that surgical thing is a very short term solution mm-hmm. it will help you it'll help you for a little bit but then as you say either you know the other stuff the memory loss or the just brain function decrease will start kicking in or the you know irregular impulses electrical impulses will get so much they can't control it anymore mm-hmm. but in that moment it seemed like a miracle yeah but it's not long it's, it's by no means a cure mm. but still these advances they will make a huge difference to yeah, yeah, each yeah, person yeah. well that there we it. have it yeah thanks lads yeah that was woman who can smell dementia and the rest I guess um, but thank you again for listening yeah. and we'll speak to you next time Yeah. sick so sick so sick of health